Grace, mercy, and peace of Christ Jesus rest upon each and every one of you this day. Amen. Maybe see. We live in a culture today where, when trouble arises, the first instinct, more often than not, is to pull out the cell phone and get it all on video so that it can be immediately posted online for all the world to see. Either that or we take the approach, I don't want to get involved. It's none of my business. Blind eyes, deaf ears, just keep walking. Either way, it's sad, isn't it? This is the world we live in. Of course, I know this isn't always the case. We might be guilty of treating perfect strangers like this, and we all are in one way or another, either filming or ignoring. But things change when that someone who is in dire straits is someone near and dear to us. Just about everyone will put down the phone when a loved one is in trouble. We will get involved and it is very much our business when one of our own is suffering or in trouble. We will stop everything. We will drop everything. We will give everything in order to help this person that we love. And we do not care who is watching or if anyone sees it at all because it's not about the views or the likes at that point. It is not about fame or popularity. It is about truly helping someone we care about. And we have all been there before. We know what it means to take action when someone near and dear to us is in trouble. We know what it is to do something, to do anything. And that is just it. We will do anything. We refuse to stand by idle and be a passive victim or spectator. We will take any kind of action and do whatever it takes in order to help out our loved one when they are suffering or struggling. And it is with this do anything to help kind of mentality that we approach our gospel text for today. John the Baptist is in prison and he knows it is not going to end well. The first century Roman penal system was not like today. It was a dungeness hell on earth. And why does John find himself in this terrible place? Because he told the truth of God's word. And he didn't care who he was speaking it to. When he told King Herod the truth that his marriage to his brother's wife was illicit and adulterous and sinful, Herod solved the problem by throwing John in jail to rot. Out of sight, out of mind. It is from this hellish prison cell that John sends messengers to Jesus to ask if he, if Jesus, is really the Messiah, or should they be looking for someone else? Now, I know this has been talked about a lot over the years, and truth be told, Christians have been debating this long before we ever entered into the discussion. Did John the Baptist send the messengers to Jesus because he was having doubts? Or did John send the messengers to Jesus because they were having doubts? And John wanted them to, because they were having doubts, not John at that point. But because the disciples were having doubts and John wanted them to hear the gospel truth straight from Christ's mouth. A lot of very good and faithful men have argued for the latter. John would not and did not doubt. After all, this was the guy who did the happy dance while he was still a six-month-old peanut in his mother's womb. He recognized Christ even while in the womb, the words penetrating to his little soul and causing him to jump for joy. 
Even in the womb, he knew he was in the presence of the Christ. Even in the womb, he understood what many adults still fail to understand and comprehend. This was the guy who physically beheld the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove when he baptized him. He knew that this was Jesus because the Father himself told him, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is who he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is he who is the Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And you know what? I can't argue with any of this. Maybe John didn't have any doubts. Maybe he was that outstanding of a Christian, caring for and teaching his disciples, even as he rotted away faithfully in his cell. Then again, maybe John was really no different than you or I. Last I checked, John did wear sinful flesh, just like you and I do. He did have a sinful mom and a sinful dad, just like us. Being a son of Adam, a sinner by nature, who needed a savior, something which he himself confessed to Jesus when Jesus asked John to baptize him. I need to be baptized by you, but you come to me. If John wasn't really any different from us in terms of sin and the need of salvation, is it really so strange to think he would suffer and struggle with the same things we do? Is it really so strange and offensive to think that John didn't have a perfect faith like Jesus? A faith that, when crushed and bruised and beaten up, might actually struggle in doubt and despair, like us and our faith. Is it so strange to think that John cannot leave prison, so he sends messengers to ask his question? Can't argue with any of this, either. But here is the thing. The point we want to focus on today is not whether or not John doubted. The point we want to focus on today is Jesus' response. More specifically, it is all that Jesus does not do here that should really raise some eyebrows. Remember, the incarcerated and suffering John is Jesus' beloved cousin. And yet Jesus does not handle this terrible thing like we would. He does not dry, drop everything and try to spring John from prison. He does not go into overdrive, putting auctions and bake sales and benefits in order to raise the funds for the necessary bribes and bail. He does not organize a mob, a mob or bake a cake with a file in it in an attempt to help John break out. He does not work the media or the crowds trying to stir up public discord and insurrection. That is the world we live in, Right? Raise enough cane, get enough people mad, and those in charge will cave and compromise. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Jesus not, does not even channel his divine powers and work a miracle to get John out. No changes of heart or Jedi mind tricks on Herod or Pilate or the guards. No earthquakes to spring the doors open. Nothing. Jesus does not do anything we would do if we had that kind of power and ability. So what exactly does Jesus do? He points John and his disciples to the word and promise of Scripture. More specifically, Jesus points them to the very fulfillment of all that word and promise. That's it. There's got to be more, right? 
Just the word? What's that going to do? Jesus, the very word of God in the flesh, points them to all the miracles he has already worked in their very hearing and presence. The raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead, the healing of the bleeding woman, the healing of the two blind guys who called out to him to be merciful, the healing of the mute, demon-possessed man. And this is all right after he stepped out of the boat, out of the boat from driving out a herd of demon-possessed pigs over the cliff after they had been exercised out of the possessed man living in the graveyard. This is all that John's disciples had just beheld with their own eyes. You go and tell John what you have just seen. Christ sent these two guys back with his word, his proof of hope, assurance, and comfort, and peace. He sends these guys back with the proof that the gospel is in the flesh and very much at work and fulfilling all that John had been testifying and prophesying about. God is at work, working out his plan and keeping his promise, just as he had been saying all along. Now, the reason I say all this is because I know that this can be a very tough and depressing time of year for many people. Maybe not for you, but I know you know someone close to you who is struggling. Consequently, many people are looking for solutions to their troubles. Those struggling are looking for quick fix remedies and actions they can take to alleviate their suffering. And the good intentioned loved ones of the suffering are seeking to take action so that they can help alleviate that suffering. Everyone wants to help. Everyone wants to do something, anything. It's just in our nature. Well, here is Christ. I'm not going to point you to prescriptions and self-help. I'm not going to point you to the actions you think you need to do. What I'm going to do is point you to Christ and all that he has already done for you and all that he continues to do for you in your very hearing and presence. I point you to his cross where he says, it is finished. Does it get any better than that? Actually, it does. But wait, there's more. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here at the font is where your God and Lord made you his own, washing away all your guilt and condemnation, baptizing you into his victorious death and resurrection, washing you and putting his name upon your head and your heart, claiming you from the bonds of sin, death, and the devil, Securing for you the free and unconditional and irrevocable gift of everlasting salvation. Here at the altar is Christ, in your very presence, kneeling down from heaven to place his almighty and victorious body and blood into your mouth for the complete forgiveness of all sin and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Listen to his word of absolution. Your sins are forgiven and remembered no more. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the very triune name that you bear in holy baptism. Your Lord Christ himself has 
already promised that the gates of hell cannot prevail against this gospel certainty. It does not matter how dark or depressive or scary this world may get. Nothing and no one can snatch this gospel gift away from you. Christ says, you belong to me. Whether you live, whether you die, you belong to me. It is finished. Do you know this peace and joy? Do you not? You have this peace and joy. You have something that all the money in the world cannot buy. You have something that Santa just cannot deliver. You have a peace and joy that you are not going to get from Walmart or out of a catalog. No baked goods can come close to this holy, life-giving supper. You have something that goes way beyond holiday cheer. You have Christ. You have the gospel that was first promised in the garden and reiterated and reinforced to every generation down to today. The gospel promise of God himself in the flesh, in your flesh, in your heart, your soul, and your mind. May this gospel promise be also on your lips and witnessed in your daily vocations. Nothing special, just what God has given you to do. May Christ be witnessed in all that you say and do, for it is Christ and Christ alone who has done and will continue to do all that is necessary for true peace and joy and comfort and confidence. Amen. And so may this peace that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.